and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Retcher, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hello. Our film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. So, guys, we have still a lot of movies to talk about because it's September, it's award season is starting. We're not currently traveling to film festivals, but there is one about to kick off in New York City, which we can get into uh, and then talk about some of the films that are out there for everybody to see, including my, uh, probably my, like, just fan choice segment for this podcast where we'll get Joanna and Richard to talk about Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Probably the, the oscar movie of the year, so it's yeah. Oh, certainly. You know, there's at least one Oscar, two Oscar winners in there. Yeah. But we want to start with the New York Film Festival because that kicks off this Friday with a film from Richard Linklater. Richard, you will definitely be attending a good number of films there. Uh, what are we kind of looking out for? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of great films that were at Cannes and at uh, Toronto and other festivals. But what are, what are kind of the new movies that are showing their faces in the next few weeks there? Well, the New York Film Festival does not premiere a ton of new things. They usually do about two or three. Um, last year, they had 20th Century Women and The Lost City of Z, which you know opened the next year. Uh, so this year, it's a similarly small slate of like world premieres. There's Last Flag Flying, which is Richard Linklater's film about three veterans on kind of a, a road trip to, to, to bury one of their sons who's died in the Iraq war in 2003. It is a, re, a, a sequel sort of to The Last Detail. The, what? the movie with Jack Nicholson sort of or a spiritual. It has some, it has some relationship to that movie. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. And yeah. Brian Cranston does a like a white guy veteran accent he, he he plays a kind of uh like new york kind of guy yeah, yeah. that was my big <laughs> takeaway from the from the uh, trailer <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know uh if i can talk about it because i think the embargo won't be up when the episode airs but uh i have seen it and judging from other critics i've talked to it, it seems, it's proving a little divisive which is odd for a richard linklater movie who you, people usually tend to go in for his stuff but this is an odd choice for him uh just kind of tonally and thematically but but yeah, I think it, it's the big opening night movie uh, this week. So it's getting a nice showcase at, at New York Film Festival. And then the other big one is um, everyone's favorite non-problematic filmmaker, Woody Allen, has a uh, <laughs> has a new film called Wonder Wheel, which is a rare drama from him, um, which I actually, you know, if we're going to uh, look at his work in a vacuum, minus his personal life, I tend to kind of be into his dramas. I mean, I think Match Point, which is, I guess, more of a thriller, is like one of my favorite yeah. of his movies. So, Match, point Match Point's my favorite, too. Yeah. Yeah. And this one is a kind of nostalgia piece set on Coney Island, where, you know, sort of near where he grew up, I guess. And, and um, like 40s or? I think it's a 50s. 50s? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of multiple stories. He's, he's good in that period where everyone's so sexually frustrated that all they do is think about sex and talk about it the entire time. That's, that's like kind of his key period. Right. No, I think that's that's exactly right. Um, and Kate Williams is in this playing an actress. Uh, Justin Timberlake plays a, a young, like a lifeguard at Coney Island, which, you know, for those clamoring for years for the J- Justin Timberlake Woody Allen movie, it's it's almost here. And fa- fascinatingly, Jim Belushi, who just because it's alphabetical, but is first listed on the poster. Like, I mean, maybe he's doing a thing where, like he did with Blue Jasmine with it's Andrew Dice Clay. Belushi sounds. Yeah, finally. He was because great he was, in Twin Peaks. He's so man. good in Twin Peaks. Yeah, Belushi songs. We got to work on that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that Belushi's people would be happy to work with us on that. <laughs> <laughs> Thrilled. And as far as we know, so the the buzz, uh, more people have seen Last Bag Flying, but Wonder Wheel seems to be a little bit more hidden. And I think with Woody Allen, we always kind of like earmark whatever he's doing in terms of awards conversations, and it is hard to know until maybe even when it premieres, because sometimes audiences can respond to his stuff differently. Yeah, I mean, I I I think that. 
you know, I think that New York Film Festival is a, is a pretty safe-ish showcase for him. It's, it's interesting. He usually has movies at Cannes, you know, because the French are more forgiving of him. But, uh, but I think New York Film Festival will be a good platform for it. You know, a, a lot of times that sort of second bigger movie to op- to premiere at, at the festival either isn't going to come out that year or it sort of just flies a little under the radar, kind of like 20th Century Women did. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I think that for our purposes, like the most intriguing thing about Wonder Wheel is whether Kate Winslet will be a late entry into this very crowded Best Actress race. Mm-hmm. Oh, and she kind of has the uh, the prestige to do it. Like, she's the person who is famous and beloved enough by the Academy that if she shows up, like, people make room for her. Yes, exactly. So, so, so we'll see. And, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe we should, we shouldn't be counting out Justin Timberlake. I mean, we've, we've all, we've all done that before and, and look, you know, we've been proven wrong. He's a lifeguard? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. Justin Timberlake was an Oscar nominee for Trolls. Don't forget. He's uh he's part of the club now. I like when Timberlake tries, like Black Snake Moan. I just like watching him try, you know? So that makes Wait sense. a minute. I mean, he was uh, like amazing in the social network. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and totally. Totally. Well, yeah. And, and if you've ever Michael met Davis. John Parker, he's like he's he's just as annoying but a little more fun to be around. <laughs> And he was really good at Inside Lewin Davis, too. I liked him in that. So, yes, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be unfair to Timberlake. But, like, uh, by trying, I mean, like, he's one of, like, like Beyonce, too. I'll, I'll hail Beyonce. He's one of those singers, like, he wants to be taken very seriously as an actor. That is something that he would like to have on his bucket list. And I don't think yeah. that has quite happened for him yet, despite these, like, a uh, few good performances. And so, like, it's it's just, it always feels efforty, even if he is quite good. Does that make any sense? <laughs> it, it, it does. I love I... that you had to say, I'll, say I, I'll hail Beyonce, just, like, to keep the Beyonce from attacking you. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. you can say nothing bad about Beyonce. <laughs> So the third movie, the kind of the big, I guess, closing night is Meyerowitz Stories, right? Yeah, which is a movie I missed at Cannes, which so that's, I'm excited to catch up with that. You know, hear good things. I think Jordan Hoffman reviewed it for us and positively on the site. So it's that. But the, yeah, the, the New York Film Festival is, um, I don't mean to like denigrate it by saying they don't premiere a lot of things because they what they what it is is a really wonderful showcase for stuff that most people haven't gotten to see in, you know, France or Toronto or wherever. And so something like Meyerowitz Stories, Wonderstruck, the Todd Haynes film that was also at Cannes will be there. Um, and then there's a, a, a like a raft of, of smaller films like um, this movie, The Rider, that I keep missing uh, with the Chloe Zhao film. Uh, we um, photographed her in Telluride. Justin Bishop photographed her for us. And her movie has just been a hit at Cannes, at Telluride. Um, but it's just been hit at festivals. And I'm, fi- I'm finally going to get a chance to see it, which is something I'm really grateful to the New York Film Festival for. And Meyerowitz Stories is, is Noah Baumbach. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that Greta and Noah both have our couple. Yeah. And both have directed films that are kind of in the, in the mix this year. And, uh, and they both seem potentially like quasi-autobiographical in certain ways. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Justin Hoffman plays the father of three siblings, Ben Stiller, Adam Sandler, and uh, who's, the, who's the third one? Uh, oh, Elizabeth Marvel. Yeah. So yeah, and he and he's the frust uh, the father is a sort of frustrated never got in his career where he, quite where he he was a sculptor uh, where he wanted to which is reminiscent of another autobiographical Noah Baumbach film Squid and the Whale which is where, right. where Jeff Daniels plays the dad and he's mm-hmm. a frustrated writer. Um, so a recurring theme uh, in his work and yeah, and Lady Bird Greta Gerwig's film is very autobiographical. So I think that maybe they're just kind of bouncing off each other and and you know. Uh, working through stuff through the magic and of Noah, film. if anyone's going to be the kind of Woody Allen without the creepy personal life, knock on wood, maybe, maybe <laughs> Noah. <laughs> yeah. He's got that, he like tells those great New York stories in a very, you know, sort of 
recognizable way if you actually live here. Yeah. So I'm excited to see that. And you'd have to imagine, you know, I don't know, uh, you, I'm sure Katie and Mike, you've seen it too. Like the, the a lot of the public audiences for a New York Film Festival, it's it's old and it's New York. And I feel like a, yeah. a, a, a movie like Meyerowitz yeah. could really speak to them. Yeah, true. It's the crowd who, uh, you know, will go to things that play at Lincoln Square for six months. Well, this is a film that, you know, the rest of us can see on Netflix on October 13th. Like it's so, it's, it's one of those weird things, man, where I'll get to see it not soon, not long after you guys. So yeah, this was, what I was going to point out is that it's the Myra stories was one of the Netflix titles that kind of started controversy at Cannes when um, they were, you know, the French film distributors basically went nuts. And so it's a Netflix film. And then um, last flag flying and wonder wheel, both Amazon films. So there's this weird, like quiet, but powerful takeover of these upstart streaming services. And we've talked on the show about how Amazon is kind of playing the Oscar game a little bit more traditionally than Netflix is. And they release their films in theaters. And, you know, Manchester by the Sea played for theaters and months before it was on Amazon. Um, but I, I mean, it does give you the feeling that like Wonder Wheel has whatever, you know, Oscar buzz it does. And Meyerowitz Stories is there, but it's a Netflix movie. It's opening at the same time on Netflix as in theaters. And for now, it does feel like that gives it kind of a ding in terms of Oscar consideration. Yeah, I was on the Netflix website, not the like the Apple TV app, but on, on my laptop. and. Uh, first, they killed my father. The Angelina Jolie film that opened to raves in in, in Telluride, premiered to raves, was buried on on the, on the the main page. It was like four rows down, all the way to the side. And I guess that's an algorithm thing. And for other people, it was more prominently featured. But anyway, but if it's not featured for you, right? A film well, right, critic right, who goes right. to like it's fifteen not, it's like, film it's festivals not like, and who's who's seeing it? The algorithm didn't know I saw it. You know, I don't think. Well, Mike, he's watching a lot of Fuller House, so it might be. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, my my. It's true. But um, but you know, the thing about it is that I tweeted at you know about it, and and a bunch of people were like, "Oh, it's an algorithm, whatever." But a lot of people said, "Wait, that's out." I had no idea that was out. Yeah. And it's just like it really frustrated me because here's a movie that Cambodia is submitting as their foreign language Oscar hopeful that tells a story that has not been told on film very much you know that that's important that is a, a major leap for a filmmaker who hasn't hadn't quite really found her 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 footing or her voice yet and then it's just dumped and i'm i i'm worried the same thing is going to happen to Meyerowitz and the same thing is going to happen to Mudbound until they just i don't know like more pro- i mean feature that feature first they killed my father on the top of everyone's Netflix experience just for a week of release or something. Yeah. I don't know. Do something. Well, and, and I think, you know, the same kind of thing happened with Brad Pitt's War Machine. Sure. It's like when, when these movies come oh, out. Yeah. Whereas whereas I, I know we've said this before, but I think by the time you saw Manchester by the Sea in your Amazon queue, you were like, oh, wow, I got to see that. And they gave it they gave it pride of place. They, you know, they have. So I, it reminds me of when I worked at um, HuffPost AOL and I said to the guy who was running the AOL homepage at that time, which had m- many millions people looked at it every day i said what if we just took our really good high quality stuff and we don't have to put it at the top but look let's just put it somewhere over he- somewhere on the page and he said to me let me get this straight you want to take our lowest performing content and put it in the lowest performing part of the page like how does that make sense and i think that sort of mm. algorithmic mentality is not a great fit for award season for this prestige world and 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 I think they're going to unless they find a solution for it they're going to run into some problems. I do know that Netflix is now like on my Apple my new Apple TV it's evolving very fast. There's like sort of mini trailers for every single thing that I see on it. So yeah, I they, do like they that. seem to be working to create a more hospitable place, but if, if, as long as it's cues where the the best kind of most exclusive stuff doesn't show up if you watch too many like you know, in your case, uh, Fuller House. Know, what Fuller House? 
it's it's a challenge, I think. <laughs> this year, I'm going to eat better and spend less time and money at the grocery store thanks to ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the meat delivery subscription that gives me more time for what matters most. Each month, they send a box of the highest quality meats for a better price in the grocery store, which gives me more time to spend cooking and sharing delicious meals with friends and family. Each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of high-quality meat right to my home. All meat is free of antibiotics and hormones. Each box has 9 to 11 pounds of meat, which is enough for 24 individual meals. It's packed fresh and shipped frozen and vacuum-sealed so that it always stays that way. I can customize my box or go with one of theirs. Either way, I get exactly what I want. ButcherBox is really the most affordable and convenient way to get healthy, humanely raised meat. With ButcherBox, you get the highest quality meat for just about $6 a meal. And they even have free shipping nationwide, except for Alaska and Hawaii. So start your year off right with up to 10 pounds of free meat. For a limited time, ButcherBox is offering new members their ultimate keto bundle when you sign up today. That includes one pork butt, two pounds of ground beef, and three pounds of bone-in chicken thighs for free in the first box by going to butcherbox.com slash cadence. That's butcherbox.com slash cadence. So while we all wait to see what's coming at New York Film Festival or things like Myerwood Stories, which will be on Netflix in a few weeks, I kind of wanted to look back just briefly at some of the films that are already out this year that are ramping up their Oscar campaigns in one way or another. It's a little bit early, but screeners are starting to arrive to various people. You're starting to see things like we talked about where Christopher Nolan came to Toronto with Dunkirk to kind of get that in front of people. And I think there's kind of, there's one obvious one to start with that maybe we should just in terms of films from earlier in the year that we don't think are counted out yet. And then that's Get Out. I think we talked about that last week as, you know, a possible Best Picture nominee and maybe one of the few uh, movies not about white people that would be in the, in the conversation. Uh, I mean, do we all feel as bullish on Get Out as we did like in February when it was breaking records and it was all anybody wanted to talk about? I mean, bullish in what category? Like, I still feel bullish about it in like a screenwriting and possibly even directing category. So, yeah, screenwriting. That's that's where I'm I'm here for Jordan Peele's screenwriting Oscar win this year. And given that it's his first film, like that seems like a huge accomplishment. And that it's a horror film, you know, uh, and that it's one that, um, and a comedy, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's sort of Ben's genre, and and you know, and so yeah, screenplay is, is where that tends to get rewarded. But I don't know. I still have this intuition, just based now that we have most of the festivals over with, and and we sort of know what mostly what the players look like. I just sort of still have this feeling that it 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 could get into a best picture depending on how many nom- nominees there are. I be just because it you know it's 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 very relevant you know however many months later and the academy with all of its changes and uh, you know wanting to seem a bit more forward facing I think that they could maybe even just subconsciously react in kind and, and vote for that movie. Yeah, I think in a in a world of uh, nine. Nine yeah. nominees. I think it, it has a really good shot. Yes, yeah, because of, because some other stuff just kind of came. You know, didn't really play big at festivals, and so a lot of things, stuff that you know m- from far away looked to be sort of more more like lock. You know, for for awards bait stuff, kind of didn't do much. So I think that it it opened some room for Get Out and and a few other films. I, I see it. A, I see it as a nomination. Absolutely. I just don't see it as like a serious contender. And oh, you know, it'd be fun to be proven wrong. Um, but like, yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I love it as like a number nine or number eight on the nominee list. You know. But here's what's weird is I when we were at Toronto, um, the guys that we were talking to said, "Do you think Dunkirk will end up winning Best Picture?" And I very immediately was like, "No." 
and then after now that the festival's over, like I, there's no, I don't Could, think, know what's going to beat it. I don't think anything's going to beat it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- that's the thing. It was a weird festival year where, in in some ways, like stuff there was a, there was big stuff they debuted, but like the biggest stuff, the most seismic stuff, all kind of happened before. I mean, it, that's yeah. what it felt like in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. Is there is there anything big lurking, Richard? Like I feel like last year there were a couple big things still lurking that hadn't premiered. Is there? There's Steven Spielberg's movie. Uh, there's Paul Thomas Anderson's movie. There's Hugh Jackman's circus musical, which um, will be my best picture. <laughs> yeah, Kingsman. Those... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kingsman. We can't forget that. Um, yeah. So there's still stuff, and um, you know, one thing about New York Film Festival, just to go back to that for a sec, is that they not they didn't do it last year, but they have in the past done a kind of secret screening, which mm. you find out about like day of or whatever. And one year it was Les Mis, one year it was Lincoln. So it's potential that that something could screen there. Maybe, maybe the Spielberg film, maybe. A circus musical. It feels like it's been a few years since they did that, but it went yeah. really well for Lincoln and it, it, Hugo did it one year too. That I've been hoping that they'd bring that back. And didn't it kind of go well for Les Mis, or am I crazy? Did what, what was the reaction? I forget what the reaction. I don't was. remember yes. it being Les Mis, but I saw it. I was there for it. People were into it, right? Yeah, yeah. And then that got a ton of Oscar nominations. It was great. And Tom Hooper introduced it. Yeah. Everybody was kind of like, "This is this is fantastic. well," because everyone was excited to be at the secret screening. We had I mean, festival yeah. fever. It's yeah, all exactly. about festival fever. Yeah. Um, and at a festival where a lot of local, like New York journalists, don't it doesn't feel as festivaly because they're in their home, t- they're where they live. Yeah. It creates that sense of specialness, which yes. I think is it's important. Uh, to go back into kind of some of the stuff from the earlier of the year, we were talking before the show started how I've uh, I received a screener for a movie that I had not heard of called Maudie, which is uh, being distributed by Sony Pictures Classics, and it's got Ethan Hawke and Sally Hawkins, these kind of you know very prestigious actors. And Joanna pointed out to me, and it's totally true, it has made six million dollars, which is more than say The Book of Henry which I don't think anyone is nominating for an Oscar. Um, but there are a lot of really small movies that are kind of in the works like that. I mean, I think The Big Sick is a really big example. That was an indie hit over the summer. It's made something like $30 million. Uh, but there's things like Beatrice at Dinner. There's Maudie. Like, what what are you guys trying to remember? I mean, like, Richard, when you're trying to make your top 10 list at the end of the year, like, what do you feel like you can't let yourself forget about when all this big hype stuff comes back? Uh, well, I won't forget about it, but I, I can't. I, I have to remind myself that Personal Shopper came out this year, even though I saw it last oh, year. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I have to remember about Lost City of Z. There was a lot of good stuff in the first half of the year. Oh, uh, there's ghost a story? Uh, um, ghost story. Thank you. Yes. Keep forgetting about that. Their Finest, a, a, a lovely little Lone Sherfic movie that uh, I don't think it'll be on top 10 list, but maybe it will. That's actually the third Dunkirk movie of the year. <laughs> it's th- three is a trend. It's because they make a they're it's about them making a movie about the evacuation of Dunkirk to get Americans interested in joining the war because they're making a movie for American audiences in England and the movie that they create this fake movie within a movie is about Dunkirk. Wow. So Dunkirk People is love movies, movies within a movie and yeah. Dunkirk. Yeah. So again, you know, just because the festivals were a little odd and then there was so much good stuff in the first half of the year. Yeah, it's just an it's an odd and sort of um unpredictable race right now which is exciting i had one more thing to bring up that was really more of a question i was looking at box office mojo and wind river with jeremy renner and elizabeth olsen is like still making money it's made like let me get the exact number it's made 31 million at this point so it's doing really well for a tiny movie uh it's directed by taylor sheridan who uh wrote the screenplay for hell high water which was a um best picture nominee last year is it like are we sleeping on that one i haven't seen it 
I've, I, a lot of, um, like, it's so funny. The critical community seems pretty quiet on it, but like a lot, my man on the street experience tells me that like a lot of, a lot of people out here are seeing it. Like a lot of people, a lot of my friends have asked me if I've seen it. They've seen it. And I'm like, no, no one's talking about it. They're like, well, we're talking about it. So I don't know. Yeah. Can, can anyone explain it? Because I saw it and my, uh, initial reaction was Taylor Sheridan is a really good screenwriter. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> but why? What is it? I and mean, people just like Jeremy Renner because of Marvel? Like, why are people going? Uh, or does it just seem kind of cool? I think that... Well, I mean, I think that it's set in a rugged American West. So that, that could yeah. appeal to parts of the country. I like that. Um, I think that it's people like Murder Mysteries. Um, yeah. It, you know, I, 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 maybe the ads just saying Hell or High Water and Sicario, that just works. They don't care wh- what the person yeah. had to do in those yeah, other movies. Yeah, he was a but, screener for Sicario. But there's obviously well. word of mouth on it. There's, I mean, there's word yeah. of mouth. People are like, oh, you got to go see it. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't warm to it, let's say. Um, it's set in a very cold climate. That's, hence the warm joke. But, uh, um, <laughs> well, is it Elizabeth Olsen too? I mean, do people, is, is this mean that Elizabeth well, Olsen like is actually a movie star? Ingrid with we- West didn't do much, did it? Right. No. Maybe uh, it's a double, double Marvel stars, right? You yeah. Two Avengers. Hawkeye and uh, yeah. Scarlet Witch? Scarlet Witch, yeah. Hey. hey. Uh, but if, if I had to kind of theorize about why that movie has word of mouth, I think that it's a movie that strives really hard to have a message beyond just being a crime thriller in the same, much the same way that hell or high water was, I think sometimes a little clunkily about the economy. This is about sort of race and land rights. And and I guess maybe has bearing on some bearing, certainly on, you know, the, the pipeline protests, I I think, but I I don't think it quite gets there. I think it makes its points a little bit heavy handedly and maybe also, well, it's terrible to its female character, and um, as as his other movies have been too. But uh, but I think that it's easy in a way because the movie's so atmospheric, um, and and it is engaging to walk out of that and be like, wow, that was like some you got to see this. You know, it has it has an ending kind of punch to it that I think makes you forget other aspects of the movie that that aren't as strong. It's also playing everywhere and all the time is what I've noticed when I've looked up showtimes for other movies. I'm like, wow, Wind River's playing everywhere and all the time. So um, I don't know if if uh, that's just anecdotal evidence or if there's actual hard data to back that up. But it seems like it is a very aggressive release. Well, for some we, maybe we shouldn't count old Harvey out. I mean, that's his movie. Yeah. So. Yeah, I just got a press release that's coming on to uh, it's coming digital at the end of October, so it'll play out and be on Blu-ray just in time for uh, screeners to go out. So. I predict right now it's going to end up being a TV series of some kind too, like a streaming streaming TV. I oh. think oh, yeah. it has that vibe. I mean, it's sort of like a that's tr- one like of the a true detective. Vibe yeah, thing. it's kind of like it has the feel in a in, in some ways. In some ways, it's very brutal. And like you said, I think to clarify, what you said about being horrible to its women characters. I I, I mean, it's like it, she goes through the ringer at least. I don't know that it's like <sighs> yeah exactly sexist or anything. It's right. just kind of like well, we're going to watch this woman endure a lot of horrible stuff. Well, I mean, just think that the Olsen character is is sort of incompetent from the from the get go. I guess she gets to a place and it was sort of similar to the Emily Blunt's character in Sicario but yes no I don't think I don't think it's a malevolent movie I don't think it's you know but it it kind of at the end of the day it's sort of like watch a TV show like a Netflix show you would put on at midnight that like the kind of thing my brother would be like have you seen this weird Netflix show about like Like Ozark or something in the reservation or whatever Yeah, I was gonna say it feels like the movie version of Bloodline which is a show that a lot of critics kind of gave up on but like every every one of my family members kept asking me if I had watched it like it had that weird that kind of appeal all right, or like Narcos yeah. or Narcos. Long, Longmire. Which I love Narcos, by the way. Do not hate on Marcos, uh, Narcos, please. I'm not hating on Narcos. It's just something that, like, 
uh, more people than critics talk about right. it, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're critics not are people, people doing too, wrongly. You know? <laughs> wrongly. Uh, well, all right. Now, I'm, now I have new respect for Taylor Sheridan as a director. <laughs> well, speaking of things that you can go see in theaters now, I wanted to get into two new releases from last week that we got tied up in TIFF and the Emmys and didn't get a chance to talk about. I think we talked about both Battle of the Sexes and Stronger to some degree uh, over the last couple of weeks. Richard, you think you saw both of them at Telluride or both of them around the early the start of the festival season? Uh, mm-hmm. And they've both got, you know, varying levels of warm reviews. I feel like Battle of the Sexes still has this huge press campaign behind it. I think they're both platforming and maybe expanding into more theaters. But the amount of actual, like, Oscar buzz around them beyond people like us saying Jake Gyllenhaal is really good. It seems really muted. Is that just me overreading it because everyone is, I don't know, talking about politics instead of Oscars except for us? Uh, No, I think that you're, I think you're right. I mean, I, you know, I think Emma Stone is still very much like in the mix uh, for Battle of the Sexes, but like, again, it's a crowded field. So I don't know. And like the response to that movie in Telluride was strong, but that's a small, excited audience. I think in Toronto, it was a bit more, quiet and you know and that's less surprising i think i've said maybe either in writing or on the podcast that like you know people were talking about that movie as a sort of blindside-esque hopeful and i just think that like depending on this how the the platforming thing works like i think the box office is really going to have come you know have bearing on that as for stronger yeah i saw that before any of the festival started in new york and and i I think it's really good and i think jake gyllenhaal is really good in it but like it it hasn't really stuck. Jeff Bowman, Bowman, the guy who Gyllenhaal plays, has been on the press tour with Gyllenhaal and has been really charming on Conan and various other shows. So maybe that'll help it. But yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Katie and I uh, interviewed him on the red carpet at Toronto. He was a lovely. He's guy. a funny guy, right? Yeah, yeah charming. Me and Jake are like buds, but yeah, man, one point six million to date. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like with Garrett, with the whole like Gary Oldman's going to win an Oscar narrative, like could really help something like Stronger, where like there's so much attention being paid to the top of the field that there's room for a lot of other people to get in, the, get in there. Like, I still wouldn't count a Jake Gyllenhaal Best Actor campaign out. It still seems very much worth it, even if it's off to a slow start. Yeah, uh, and you know, here's some. I'm looking at the box office now from last weekend, and Battle of the Sexes is in like twenty something theaters, twenty one theaters, and it had a really good per screen average of $24,000 per screen. So that's good. That's a good sign. That's the second highest of the, uh, last weekend. But the highest by a good $15,000 more is Victoria and Abdul, which is only on four screens. So like, who's to say? Is Judy Dench all, all of a sudden back in it when we kind of had, had I, I had written that movie off, you know, as being a sort of, you know, another Stephen Fair's old lady movie. But like the Stephen Fair's old lady movies do well at the Oscars. So the Lamina was a Dowd, Best Picture nominee. Yeah. Maureen Dowd interview in the Sunday Times that does not hurt with uh, with yeah. snooty Oscar voters. Yeah. So I so I think that we're yeah we need to sort of I, I don't think that the narratives on any of these are done. But I think you're right, Katie, that like both of stronger and Battle of Sexes could could uh, probably hope for a little bit more oomph right now. So wait, Stronger was in 573 theaters and made 1.6 million dollars. Yeah. yeah, it's not great. Yeah, it, and that's yeah, it's a really low um, that's average and you know screen average. It's so. good. It's good too. Oh well, what do I know? I didn't like to, Win River. I like Stronger. <laughs> I, I thought Stronger was great. Out of touch with the American population. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stronger had a like three times lower per screen average than the third week of It, which I guess I mean it's like a gigantic, crazy phenomenon, but. 
It's a, it's Don't compare it to it. Right. That's not fair. <laughs> I'm just look. I'm trying to do math on the fly. This is not what I'm cut out for. <laughs> One last thing I want to address this is something that I have seen uh, was is out this weekend. Mark Felt, the man who uh, took down the White House, which I saw at Toronto, and is another example of kind of a muted response to like a perfectly fine movie, and you've got. What, you know, in another year could be something we'd be talking about. Liam Neeson playing Mark Felt, who uh, was eventually unveiled in the pages of Vanity Fair to be Deep Throat. Um, But I think it's a really interesting example of how you get to this time of year in a movie that is for adults and about serious things and, you know, good in a lot of ways, just like can't break through. And especially when premiering at a festival like Toronto, where there's so many other things you know, clobbering your brain for attention. Um, so just kind of to let anyone know who's got their eye on it, it is uh, it has plenty to recommend it in many ways, but does seem to be kind of not part of the conversation already, which is, seems like a really unfair thing to say about a movie that hasn't even opened yet. But right. that's um, the time of year we're in. Uh, let me just let me just read out the cast list. It's crazy. Liam Neeson, Kate Kate Walsh, Diane Lane, Wendy McClendon Covey, Michael Monroe, Michael C. Hall, Josh Lucas, Ike Barinholtz, Eddie Marson, Bruce Greenwood, Tom Sizemore, Tony Goldwyn, and Noah Wiley. Brian Darcy James, but Noah Wiley. Yeah. So, I mean, like, wow. there's a lot, there's a, you know, a lot to see in that movie, at least. So. Okay. But let me ask you this. It, because for me, the, the bar for Mark Felt is why am I going to watch this if I've already seen All the President's Men, one of the greatest movies about journalism ever or any topic really mm-hmm. like what's the what's what's new or you know why do well you it's, the, see it's the other side of the story which is interesting and especially you know there definitely are ways where you can't help but think of james comey when you're seeing like scenes from inside the fbi where yeah. you know there's a guy like mark felt thought he would be the fbi director and instead nixon appointed you know kind of a crony of his in the top position and you can wonder to the extent he was just mad that he got passover for a promotion right um so that part of it is interesting but there are scenes where he goes to a parking garage to meet with bob woodward and it just all you can do is think why am i not watching all the president's men right now right so well it's interesting should i just go watch all the president's men i haven't watched it in a while oh yeah i watched it this year it was really good watch oh yeah not too not too depressing i mean it's always a really good watch but you know and then and then you're gonna want to watch it before the spielberg movie comes yeah so yeah I also saw that this is off topic of everything, but HBO is doing a whole Ben Bradley uh, documentary that's going to come out in early December, pegged to the post, basically. So it's going to be a good season for the Washington Post. Ben Bradley and Jason Robarts. Who was cooler? That's that's yeah. like that, they, that's a serious <laughs> probably, probably the movie star. <laughs> Usually the movie star wins, but you I, never yeah, know. but I don't know. Ben Bradley's pretty cool. That's a good come. I met uh, Jason Robarts when I was a small uh, child. Actor, oh, really? you know that? Oh. My mom sent me over to him to get an autograph. I guess that's the did first autograph I ever got, and last. Wow. I want you. To <laughs> did you did you cry by his bedside like Tom Cruise in, in Magnolia? Oh God! <laughs> he actually exercised me. Is that no? I'm, th- oh. I'm thinking of Max von Sydow. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Now for the moment that I at least have been waiting for. Kingsman the Golden Circle opened last weekend. Uh, it's a pretty good size hit. I don't know if it's... I haven't looked at its numbers compared to the original Kingsman, but uh, between that and it, it's a really surprisingly good September after a pretty dreadful summer movie season. And uh, Richard and Joanna, I wanted you guys to talk about it, not just because you both enjoyed it for various reasons, but because you both kind of seem to like regret liking it so much like you were aware that it's hashtag problematic to like it but you like it anyway which is a fun uh, position to have so uh what is tell me what there is to recommend this movie that you guys both kind of thought you maybe wouldn't like I mean, well, first of all, I would recommend that you read uh, Richard's great review because um, it's a it's 
like, okay, on a really serious note, before we get into like sort of some of the sillier reasons why we like this movie, what Richard did in his review uh, is something that a lot of film critics have struggled with, with, which is identifying someone you fancy in a film and talking about it in a non-creepy way and, and like reckoning with the fact that that might influence your enjoyment of that film. And a lot of critics have been called on the carpet for doing that less successfully. And I just really love the way that Richard did it in this particular review. So I would really, really recommend even Kudos. if you haven't seen, mm. want to see Kingsman or whatever, read that review because it's a beautiful piece of writing. From Richard. And I, th- I think it's also worth saying that a lot of people do this and don't acknowledge that they do it. Like there are plenty of examples of like women becoming famous on the power of like men wanting to sleep with them and, and write, not writing that in that review in their reviews, but that being part of it. So I think it's, it's good to acknowledge it uh, sometimes when it's important. I, when I was writing it, I was thinking, okay, flip the script here. If this is a, if this is being written about a woman, this is, this is creepy. And I, but I think that, you know, a history of gender disparity, whatever kind of accounts for that. But um, I think also like, uh, you know, it, I think being honest about that, uh, about men, it, it, it's sort of implicit with female actresses, like, 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 you know, Scarlett Johansson on the poster for a Michael Bay movie. It's sort of like, well, of course, that's part of the appeal. Um, that, that's sort of tacitly, you know, just accepted. Whereas I feel like with like attractive male actors, sure, like you can t- titter and make little jokes, but like it's not always like embedded into the the sort of core marketability of the movie that there is this sex appeal. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm like, and, and that's what I think is something that Kingsman does less overtly than, um, like Matt, the Magic Mike franchise did, <laughs> but like this is in some degree, uh, you know, a gentle porn for people who like the male form because, uh, I mean, it's suited porn, but it's like it's attractive British actors in suits, and this time we're adding attractive uh, American actors in denim, and uh, it, it's part of it. It's part of what they're doing, and and it's, it's such an interesting thing because I'm always curious. You know, Kingsman exists as as a spoof of. Of it, you know, it's a comic book adaptation, but it's also a spoof of the James Bond franchise. And um, I'm always curious how much Matthew Vaughn is really aware how much he's spoofing and how much he's falling into the trap himself. Like I'm not, I'm not clear if he's clear on it. But what's true is that while James Bond does fetishize, you know, especially like Daniel Craig, like does fetishize its male lead, it's a that's a lot about female exploitation. And we can talk about the female exploitation of Kingsman, but more than anything else, I think it's a, it's about attractive men wearing nice clothing, uh, pull, pulling off action sequences that are all of them musical numbers basically <laughs> i mean it's 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 a, it's insane and this movie has huge appeal for female audience um that's my that's me speaking anecdotally but i i would bet the numbers back me up on that and um and you know gay male audience i'm sure too and i i don't know i i it has something and for all its problems and all its flaws like i do consider this my problematic fave franchise i'm really excited for the third installment so yeah i love it yeah, I mean it is problematic uh you know <clears throat> in 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 plenty of ways but uh I don't know. I think there's a wink of self-awareness. I you know, I, I it it doesn't feel as witless as some people are are saying it is, you know. I think it actually does have um some modicum of of self-awareness. I, you know, the violence is bad and and the treatment of women to an extent is bad. But you know, Julianne Moore is a fun villain in the second one and um and you know, by the way, once you have Julianne Moore 
you know, playing a sort of sweet voice kind of makeup guru turned, you know, murderous uh, supervillain, you know, that's that's deliberate camp i mean that's not that's not like an accident um you know and that's a deliberate appeal to um a demographic beyond the typical you know straight male between 15 and however old for an action movie you know so i i I credit the movie for at least kind of thinking a little bit more broadly um than a michael bay movie perhaps i don't understand the 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 critique of it being brainless because i don't think it's that at all and um for all the ways that it is I mean, I feel like this, this second one is almost stubbornly problematic. Like, so the first one has, you know, a lot of people just complained about this one joke at the end of the first one. I mean, the violence in the first one as well, but like, which, which they tried to like make okay by the, all the, you know, people who died being Westboro Baptist racist or something like that. So it's okay to slaughter them all, uh, to a rollicking rock song. But like, um, the, uh, the ending joke is this sort of anal sex joke that a lot of people felt was very, very sexist and demeaning towards women. It didn't really bother me that much, but like, I, I see where they're coming from. This movie winks at that joke twice in a really, I thought, clever way. Uh, and then, but then adds its own extra thing, which to me, once again, feels almost like Matthew Vaughn being like, don't tell me what's problematic sex wise i'll show you problematic sex wise i mean i don't know what he was thinking with this like yeah very uh Gra- tasteless graphic too in a yeah, way. yeah yeah graphic and tasteless we won't spoil it pl- but. planting of a device somewhere on a female body and um i mean you've you've met english men before <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah fair point <laughs> so i and like yeah. that and that scene actually wouldn't have even bothered me because it does feel like a send up of of James Bond having to like sleep with assets all the time. Uh, if they'd cut away just like oh I don't know thirty seconds sooner, I, yeah. th- that scene wouldn't have bothered me as much. What bothers me more is that they they definitely fridge a female character from the first movie. They fridge her right away in the second movie, and that actually did quite bother me. But um, that botheration aside, it, and the weird cutting out of Channing Tatum who it's been revealed later like originally had a much bigger role and had scheduling conflicts and so is sort of literally put on ice for a lot of this movie and that feels like um that feels like false slight false advertising because he's front and center of all the posters but he's really very well in the movie. also the the person so it's half of Taron Edgerton on the poster and half of someone else and uh, and it lists, you know, the cast members on the poster, and so it leads you to believe that that half is t- is Channing Tatum. It's Pedro Pascal who's not even on the poster and is a much much bigger part. Uh, well, it's what's interesting. You're talking about the whip post, the whip yeah. hand, which is the coming soon. I believe that actually was Channing Tatum because I was reading this piece in the Hollywood Reporter that when they uh, put first put footage out at CinemaCon, it was Channing Tatum who had the whip, oh, and okay. they just had to massively rewrite the thing and give the whip to Pedro Pascal. Which, by the way, you know, if if Taron Edgerton is Richard's kryptonite in this movie, Pedro Pascal, <laughs> Game of Thrones fame is definitely mine, and uh, he is magnificent in this movie. Movie and he needs to be in more things. So, he's well, he's on Narcos if you would just watch it instead of running. <laughs> this week's episode has been brought to you by Narcos. <laughs> I wish we were getting sponsored by Netflix. Come on, guys. We say so many nice things about Netflix. 
Uh, Richard, real quick, has Taron Edgerton done, like, he broke up big in Kingsman. He's obviously in the sequel. Has he done anything else? Should I be looking out for him? We, we've we've mostly just been lay, laying low at home, you know. We're we're, yeah. we're kind of homebodies. He doesn't Watching like Narcos, work. right? Yeah, you know, he, you know, I, I, I bring home the bacon and, you know, uh, so, uh, no, I, yeah, he's, he's had an odd career because he's known for these popular, with this one popular Kingsman movie, but, like, beyond that, you know, he was in that movie Legend where he played twins, the, the or no, Tom Hardy played twins, but and Taron Edgerton. Oh, oh yeah, that's yeah. right. Tar- Taron Edgerton played the boyfriend of one of the Cray brothers. He's essentially the lead of Sing, but not that you see his face. But that that the uh, cartoon movie with the animals. Yeah, because he's got a great singing voice. Taron Edgerton has a beautiful. Are you voice, kidding me? So. Okay, that's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> you done. didn't know that. Yeah. This guy needs to pick something he's not good at. <laughs> Yeah, and I actually really liked Eddie the Eagle, so I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, Edgerton needs to make more things for sure. He's quite pint-sized, not that that's like unusual, but there's this great shot. You know, they don't shy away from it. There's this great shot in Kingsman 2 where he gives Colin Firth this big hug and it pans out and he's like on his tiptoes in order to give Colin Firth a hug. (laughs) So, yeah. And, you know, there's, you know, Elton John has a great, like, I think one of the best celebrity cameos of all time in this, in this movie, Kingsman 2. I, Mark Strong has been really good in both installments. And, you know, he, Mark Strong for a while was like your go to villain uh, in a lot of films, but he's, got a great light comedic touch so i would love for him to do more things like this uh in future and yeah kingsman it's just fun and i understand all the critiques about it and i hear you and i don't disagree but i enjoyed it so much i saw it twice this weekend so listen as i try to work up the guts to go see mother in theaters like when you're telling me something else is fun (laughs) the appeal is there for sure I was just looking up Taron on IMDb. I mean, I texted him. And I was like, "What are you in?" Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> he uh, he's in. He's playing Robin Hood in a Robin Hood movie coming up uh, with Ben Mendelsohn and Jane, and Jane Jamie Dornan Fox. and Jamie Fox and Eve Hewson. So that could be big for him. Um, he's also star- co-starring with Kevin Spacey in a movie called Billionaire Boys Club. Uh, you can make the jokes on your own at home. I will not do it on air. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that that could be a big thing. That's with Ansel Elgort, Billy Lord, Emma Roberts. Um, Suki, Suki Waterhouse. Waterhouse what a Carrie crowd Elways, Judd Nelson Jeremy Irvine Rosanna Arquette holy cow Bokeem Woodbine just keeps going um, anyway so he's got some bigger stuff coming up um, but I think that you know if this Kingsman sequel does well that will probably solidify him more as a kind of you know go-to name the pictures of the uh, Billionaire's Boy Club on IMDb are nuts yeah yeah a lot of, a lot of Donald Trump Jr.'s in that crowd That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please find us on Apple Podcasts where you can rate and review and let other people know that we're around and let them join the award season conversation, which is ongoing all the time at VanityFair.com and on our Twitter feed at Little Gold Men. And we're all on our own. I'm at Katie Rich. Mike? Mike underscore Hogan. And Richard? Rylaws. And Joanna? Joe wrote this. This episode was edited and produced by Jordan Bell, and thanks to Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for free advertising goes to our non-sponsored Netflix. Narcos, nothing but narcos. <laughs> <laughs>